0: You're listening to the Living Presence Podcast, exploring faith, meeting the world from East Gwillimbury, Ontario. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Living Presence podcast for Friday, February 2nd. My name is Brianne Swan and I'm the Community Minister with the Living Presence Ministry in East Willembury. You might hear some construction vehicles in the background as they whiz by my window today. The Living Presence Ministry functions within a new housing development and it's so new that most of the houses haven't even been built yet. So our backyard is still a thoroughfare for cranes and diggers, which makes for some really noisy days. But this is our life and our context right now, so it seems pretty appropriate to, in order to get a sense of where I'm speaking from, which is really just an Ikea table in my office, which is in a home surrounded by a sea of frozen mud and giant trucks. But thanks to everybody who was in touch via Facebook and the Living Presence website after last week's episode to offer feedback and suggestions. I really appreciate people's thoughts and input, so please keep sending them in. On this week's episode, we'll be looking at a passage from the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus casts out an impure spirit and talk about how demons and evil are represented throughout literature and popular culture. I'll also be talking a bit about the difference between possessing or claiming authority versus actually being an authority. We'll hear a passage from the prophet by Cahil Gibran, as well as music from American duo Belle of the Fall and Danish singer-songwriter Arberk. This week was the one-year anniversary of a tragic mass shooting that took place at a Quebec City mosque. Six worshippers were killed, and 19 were injured when a lone gunman opened fire shortly after the end of the evening prayers. Last weekend, I had posted on my Facebook page asking if anybody knew of a vigil happening in my area to commemorate this one-year anniversary. I was honestly wondering if there was a place that I would be able to go to acknowledge this. But one of my cousins, a cousin who I don't actually have much contact with outside of the online world— responded with a laughing emoji and said, Nah, I don't think there's going to be one, as if it was a joke that anybody could possibly still care about this. I couldn't for the life of me figure out why this was so funny. Last year I was one of the interfaith leaders at a vigil held in Newmarket, Ontario. I'd brought my five-year-old with me, and prepping him for the vigil I told him that we were going to be going here because... Something very bad had happened. Six good people had been killed and a lot of people were feeling very sad and afraid. I explained that it is important that when people are sad and afraid that we show them that we care and that they are not alone. It is important to show that we love them. And after a few moments of quiet, my son said, Well then, I will walk around and hug and kiss all the people so that they won't be sad anymore because I don't want my friends to be sad, and I don't want people to be scared. So even my five-year-old knows that there is nothing funny about what happened in Quebec City. There was an article in the Globe and Mail this week saying that many Muslim communities feel like support for them has dropped over the last year, and this saddens me greatly. It is not okay. Now, I'm not suggesting that we walk around hugging and kissing everybody like my five-year-old, but I do think that we as a society need to be more intentional about standing up and speaking out when we see injustices happening. And not just the big ones, but the day-to-day injustices that happen around us all the time. So because there's nothing funny about hatred... And nothing funny about standing in solidarity with a community in pain. Here is Nick Lowe's song, What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding, performed by Bell of the Fall. You can find them online at www.bellofthefall.com.
1: I walk through this wicked world searching for life in the darkness of insanity I ask myself inside there's one thing i want to know what's so funny about peace love and understanding what's so funny about peace love and understanding love and understanding what's so funny about peace love and understanding
2: good morning my name is margaret burkholder and i'm in cochrane ontario i'll be reading mark chapter 1 verses 21 to 28 jesus drives out an impure spirit Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? And with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee.
0: That was Margaret Burkholder reading to us from her library office in Cochrane, Ontario. And we've got impure spirits. Hooray, we're talking demons. I heard one commentator last year refer to this story as just a run-of-the-mill exorcism. And I remember thinking at the time, holy crap, like what kind of work are you in where any kind of exorcism is just run-of-the-mill? But demons, like what kind of demons are we talking about? Actual, literal, spiritual beings, metaphorical demons, does it matter? Now, it's very possible that I might have a different relationship to the word demon than most people. My very first childhood pet was named Demon, and she was this tiny little tortoiseshell cat. She wasn't very intimidating at all, but she did have this really unfortunate habit of pooping in my uncle's shoe when he came to visit. And just his shoe... Nobody else's, and nobody knows why. But she was very cute, and contrary to the opinion of my uncle, she certainly wasn't evil. I even wrote a song about this legendary cat and man rivalry for my kids, and I'll post it just for fun with the show notes on the Living Presence Ministry website. I spent some time this week thinking about The different ways we, speaking from a Western English-speaking perspective, represent or personify evil. The different kinds of demons we wrestle with through literature, film, and other aspects of popular culture. We have our own personal demons, like the Dementors in the Harry Potter series. J.K. Rowling has commented many times that Dementors, who are tall, cloaked Scaly creatures that chill the air and make everyone around them feel as if they will never be happy again, or a personification of the deep depression and despair that she experienced while living on social assistance as a single mother after the breakdown of her marriage. Dementors can literally suck your soul, which is a fate we're reminded often through the series is far worse than death. And then there is the representation of systemic demons, like the Pale Man in the Guillermo del Toro film Pan's Labyrinth. According to del Toro, the Pale Man represents institutional evil feeding on the helpless, and that it is no coincidence that this demon-like character is both pale in skin color and identified as male. There's also the Black Riders in the Lord of the Rings series, with Tolkien using the Nazgul to represent humankind's susceptibility to the demons of power and greed. And then there are the existential demons, like perhaps the nothing in the never-ending story, which represents apathy and our unfortunate tendency to discount creativity and imagination. There's an intersection of these three distinct concepts of demons. The systemic injustice often leads to individual despair. Apathy allows for the rise of those seeking power at the expense of others. But it's easier to think of these abstract concepts, these demons, as evil characters. And thinking of them as characters also makes it easier to imagine that they can be defeated It's easier to battle something we can see and recognize. At least we've got a shot at getting rid of them. What's interesting about all these characters is that they are not merely bad guys. Each of them serve an evil that is even greater than they are. They are not the main antagonists. They are not Voldemort. They are not Sauron. They are not a humanity who has given up on embracing childlike wisdom. They are merely the servants and messengers of a greater evil and danger. So I wonder, in this story, what is the greater evil we're meant to fear even more? But for now we have this demon, this impure spirit, suddenly showing up in a synagogue in Capernaum. Jesus has been teaching and the people have been amazed. The demon, through the man he is possessing, immediately recognizes Jesus for who he is. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One from God. I love this. Have you come to destroy us? Who is us? Are you here to destroy us, all the demons of the world? The despair, the injustice, the apathy, the disconnection? Some of it? All of it? But notably, Jesus doesn't answer. He just says, shut up and get out. And the demon, albeit begrudgingly, obeys kind of like my toddler. The demon does what it's told, but throws a bit of a temper tantrum first. This is the first public display of Jesus's ministry and authority in Mark's gospel. I mentioned in last week's episode that John was the last gospel to be written. This week's reading is from Mark, and most scholars believe that Mark was the first gospel penned approximately 40 years after Jesus' death. The language of Mark was that used by common people, and it reads a little bit like an action movie. It's fast-paced, and the story quickly moves from one important event to the next. We often see glimpses of an angry Jesus, which is probably why I enjoy Mark so much. In this story, Mark is setting up a common theme, the conflict between Jesus and the Jewish leadership. To be clear, this is not a conflict between Jesus and the Jewish people. Jesus was, after all, Jewish himself, but rather between Jesus and the class of the religious elite. In this story, the teachers of the law, who are also called the scribes in other translations, are amazed. They are amazed Jesus is able to teach and command with an authority that goes beyond their own, that goes beyond simply being an authority of the established code and law. In Mark's story, Jesus' authority goes much further, and the scribes are not necessarily on board. In fact, they are threatened. The story reminded me of my experience in psychotherapeutic training a couple years ago. Before I started my journey with the Living Presence Ministry, I was a student of psychotherapy at a school in Toronto. I've always felt my calling is to be and work with people in transformative and relational ways, but I'm also very introverted. In short, I am a friend to the human condition. I just prefer my humans one at a time, I guess. So after almost a decade of intense psychodynamic depth therapy, and going through a period of personal discernment, I decided psychotherapy was the career for me. And I was really excited to learn more about a subject I was passionate about that had helped me, and from teachers who were authorities in the field. Unfortunately, things quickly fell apart. On the first day of training, my new colleagues and I were told that we were not to speak to each other, or contact one another outside of weekly small groups and monthly lectures. So no emails, no texts, no phone calls, no coffees where we could discuss our readings and our thoughts about various perspectives on psychoanalytic theory. Except we really wouldn't have been able to do much of that anyway, because we were strongly discouraged from reading any material outside of what our school assigned to us. But being asked not to read articles outside of what we were assigned was because, well, I'm not really sure our teachers would have been able to speak to anything we might have asked that veered off of their rehearsed script. And they were terrified of looking like they didn't know what they were talking about because it demonstrated that although they possessed authority by the nature of their position and that they had the power to hold us back or prevent us from practicing they were not truly authorities on psychodynamic psychotherapy. So the no-contact rule soon began to feel like a tactic utilized to prevent us from organizing. So we couldn't get together and say to each other, this feels really messed up to me. Does it feel messed up to you? Claiming authority as opposed to being an authority. The point Mark is trying to make to his audience is that the authority of Jesus in this story is embodied and comes from something far greater than books and law, that it comes from the Creator. Mark might as well be saying, hey, listen to this guy. He knows what he's talking about. Jesus doesn't promise to get rid of all the demons. Mark was astute enough to see that injustice and despair still existed in his time. But Jesus recognizes the demon. The demon recognizes him. The leaders recognize Jesus as a threat. And on the story goes and continues with Harry, Ophelia, Bastion, and all the other friends Sitting on my bookshelf. On Laws from the Prophet by Khalil Gibran. Then a lawyer said, But what of our laws, Master? And he answered, You delight in laying down laws, yet you delight more in breaking them, like children playing by the ocean who build sand towers with constancy and then destroy them with laughter. But while you build your sand towers, the ocean brings more sand to the shore, and when you destroy them, the ocean laughs with you, verily the ocean laughs always. With the innocent. But what of those to whom life is not an ocean, and man-made laws are not sand towers, but to whom life is a rock, and the law a chisel with which they would carve it in their own image? What of the cripple who hates dancers? What of the ox who loves his yoke and deems the elk and deer of the forest stray and vagrant things? What of the old serpent, who cannot shed his skin and calls all others naked and shameless? And of him who comes early to the wedding feast, and when overfed and tired, goes his way, saying, All feasts are a violation, and all feasters are lawbreakers? What shall I say of these, save that they too stand in the sunlight, but with their backs to the sun? They see only their shadows, and their shadows are their laws. And what is the sun to them but a caster of shadows? And what is it to acknowledge the laws but to stoop down and trace their shadows upon the earth? But you who walk facing the sun, what images drawn on the earth can hold you? You who travel with the wind, what weather vane shall direct your course? And what man's law shall bind you if you break your yoke but upon no man's prison door? What laws shall you fear if you dance but stumble against no man's iron chains? And who is he that shall bring you to judgment if you tear off your garment yet leave it in no man's path? People of Orphalese, you can muffle the drum... And you can loosen the strings of the lyre. But who shall command the skylark not to sing? Our second song this week is from Danish singer-songwriter Arberk. You can find him online at www.celebrationrecords.dk. This is his song, Love is in Despair, from his album, Disguises.
3: You saying let's keep this simple and practical With none of those feelings irrational But love is contradictable It is pain so pure and beautiful To be naked in the freezing wind And to endure all suffering Still you don't know, how could you know I could never let you go
0: You say
3: you're a fool trusting me but you don't care and we'll never be so love is unreliable it is sickness death and violence to keep walking with a broken ankle through endless fire burn So you don't know still important to be told of. So beat me up, take everything, break every bone and forever think that our child could never be one of yours or
0: Each episode, the Living Presence podcast offers an opportunity for listeners to contribute to our Love for the World segment, where the worldwide community can lift up the people and places in need of alliance, awareness, and hope. Let us know who and where is on your minds this week. You can record your shout-out with your smartphone and email it to high at Ministry.org. Or you can leave a voicemail at area code 289 903 0019 Your responses will be added to the show and we are grateful for your contribution. So welcome to the Love for the World segment we had a few people leave comments on the Living Presence Facebook page with requests for prayer and keeping some people and places in mind. Locally, the community of Sharon Hope United Church, who is one of the faith communities involved with Living Presence, has suffered a couple of deaths this week. One of them after a very long illness, and the other, their beloved music director, very suddenly from a heart attack. We hold the families of Don and Bob in our heart, and ask that their families and friends be held and cared for as they grieve. Anne from East Gwillimbury has asked that we lift up the staff of Save the Children in Afghanistan, as well as their families, after their offices were attacked by Daesh and staff killed. Angela from Calgary has asked that we keep in mind the families of the men who were killed in the Quebec City mosque attack last year, we pray for the end of discrimination and violence and the deepening of understanding and respect between faith communities. I would like to continue to hold up the Chippewa of Georgina Island and the people of East Gwillimbury, as well as those who are affected by sexual violence and discrimination. Finally, I have in mind the friends and family of a number of men from Toronto's gay village who we now know, after months of being missing, were murdered. There is sadness and anger pointed towards many directions, and so I hope for us to keep everybody whom this tragedy has touched in our minds and our hearts as more and more information is released. Once again, if you would like to contribute to this segment, please feel free to add your voice via the Living Presence Facebook page or by sending us your audio recordings. Links and contact info are listed in the show notes on the Living Presence website. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. We'll be back next week with a reading from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 9, where Jesus transfigures before his friends we'll talk about moments of the ordinary made extraordinary in addition to listening to some new music and poetry. Don't forget to send us the people and places on your mind. Take care, and we'll see you next Friday. This podcast is brought to you by the Living Presence Ministry, a community ministry of the United Church of Canada. You can find us online at www.livingpresenceministry.org.